0: Welcome to Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, December 10th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We talked Chiefs this morning on Beat Live with columnist Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian, along with beat writers Sam McDowell and Herbie Teope, and now it's presented in podcast form. We chat about Sunday's opponent, the Miami Dolphins, and their new quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, the Chiefs' lack of success in the red zone over the past couple of games, and some possible changes coming along the offensive line. So let's get right to it. Hey, good morning from Kansas City. Welcome to Sports Beat Live, our uh, weekly show where we talk Chiefs with the people who know them best. And uh, among those people are Sam McDowell. Sam, how are you? I'm doing
1: great. How are you guys doing?
0: Great, great. Sam Mellinger is here. What's up, Sam? We got we got the uh yeah the, the mute thumbs up always good and uh and Vahe Gregorian in the house
2: what's up Vahe? Uh I'm feeling good I realize that when I see your smiling faces it feels just like it did on mornings in uh, South Florida waking up to see it, see the group of you Uh
0: well hold that thought uh, and uh, of course Herbie Herbie is with us uh on uh, from uh, on remote as he is <laughs> as he's been all season what's up Herbie well, on no, it's probably
3: a good thing you have Melly muted so we don't get any F bombs in the morning. That's a good point.
0: Very good point.
3: <laughs> and uh so that's the uh, th-
0: th- that's the assorted panel. And of course this show runs on your thoughts, comments, and questions. So please bring them everything that uh everything you got talking chiefs. Uh we will try to get to as many of them as we can. So As Vahe mentioned, guys, uh, Chiefs heading back to Miami, second time this year in the – third time this year in the Sunshine State, uh, second time in Miami. So the last time uh, the Chiefs ventured to South Florida, it was a pretty good deal for for the Chiefs, for Kansas City. There was a parade a few days after that. And I got to tell you, our cracked research department – went into the archives and found this little clip of the last time we had assembled together, maybe the last time the five of us saw each other uh, in South Florida. Go ahead, Beth.
1: <laughs> 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 and then
3: Sam McDowell. Um, so the
1: shirt's okay, but, but the pants, the shoes. Uh, I have no flip-flops, but I don't think... So. <laughs>
2: Look, Mellinger, either. Mellinger goes all in by going barefoot to yeah. make to make up for the rest. So
3: strategic error when I packed. Yeah. Right. I'm just gonna admit that up front. All right. All right. Uh, That's a show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and there's our good friend that we made uh, down there that uh large enough to be the sixth panelist. Uh, <laughs> the two foot long iguana that uh that found us. you know Blair.
1: First of all, I didn't get the memo that everybody's wearing shorts that day. But the real takeaway from that is Herbie promised us he was going to jump in the pool when that show was over, and it never happened. Never did. I don't remember that.
2: <laughs> Need to know basis.
0: <laughs> I seem to recall a football flying around in the uh, in the back there, and uh, with with um, different degrees of skill. <laughs>
2: I seem to recall Sam McDowell being quite skilled and leading me right into a wall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's
0: accuracy. <laughs> but you held onto the ball, as I recall. Uh, you know, you, you took the hit and uh, and and, and uh, came back for the next play. So uh, I did. Anyway, that was a fun week, guys, and I, I do think that's and uh, less than the parade day or some uh, you know assemblage of of, of, a, of a show like this afterwards that may have been uh, the last time that we, we we saw each other the five of us were in the same room together which is um which says something about uh, 2020 doesn't it um it's uh, uh, uh interesting hey, Blair
2: while we're on this because maybe we won't get a chance to come back to it um I was remembering this morning uh part of the way we all learned about each other those those few days i can't remember the line we had about herbie but i do think we 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 came to this that blair woke up typing i woke up talking mellinger woke up smiling mcdowell woke up wisecracking and then herbie what did we have for you
3: sleeping (laughs) sleeping right (laughs) yes (laughs) herbie woke up (laughs) sleepwalking I was up before most of y'all. What are you talking about? No, sleeping. sweeping. Remember, he was sweeping. sweeping. Cleaning. cleaning, cleaning, that's right.
0: You, you could eat off those floors. We did. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. So, yeah, it's, it's the Miami Dolphins. Interesting opponent, I think, for the Chiefs on, on Sunday. Noon kickoff on, on CBS. You know the way the NFL's schedule formula works. The Chiefs see their AFC West opponents twice during the year. They they play the previous, um, you know, first place teams in the AFC. They play other teams in a, in a singular AFC division. This year it's the AFC East, and uh, and then of course an NFC division, the NFC South. So it, what it means is there's about half the schedule you'd, of teams that you don't see on a, on, a, on an annual regular or regular basis. And the Dolphins is one of those. It, Chiefs haven't played him in a couple of years. And since the last time we've seen the Dolphins, new coach, new quarterback, new energy uh, with, with Miami. And uh, I, I wanted to get into that a little bit after we get uh, from Herbie and an injury report. Um, uh, uh, go ahead and give it, Herbie. You got, then I have a question for you.
3: Yeah, the big one, obviously, is wide receiver Tyree Uh He didn't practice yesterday with an illness. And then you have uh, offensive lineman, the rookie, Yasser Durant, who also didn't practice with an illness. And their starting linebacker, Damian Wilson, with a knee injury. Hill, obviously, is the biggest name on there. There seems to have been a stomach virus-type illness that has gone around with the Chiefs in recent weeks. Uh, last week, you had Clyde Edwards-Lair, who dealt with it. Uh, Rashad Breeland dealt with it. I don't know exactly if that's what Hill has going on or even if that's what Durant has going on. Uh, All Reid said yesterday was... It's an illness, but it's not COVID-related. So that's a good thing.
0: Well, if it's if it's an illness that's going around the team, it's it's one that kept Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of the game on um, on Sunday against the Sunday night against the Broncos. Uh, it, do you have to start thinking in those terms with Tyree Kill, or do we just need to wait until we see some other injury reports later in the week?
3: Yeah, you're going to have to wait to see how this progresses during the week. The reason why Edwards-Alaire was not. At, well, he was dressed, but he didn't play. was because Andy Reid said, hey, he lost some weight. Also playing into that is the two missed days. When you miss consecutive days of practice, it's kind of hard to, to make up for because you miss the install period. You miss the actual plays that are going to be run. So if, if you miss those, a large chunk of practices, you're already behind the power curve.
0: Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll get another injury report today and then the, the final one on Friday, something to keep, keep an eye on. So, all right, uh, to the Dolphins, the, you know, here's uh, here, here's a, an organization to change coaches uh, after the 2018 season, they bring in Brian Flores from New England, he starts his career 0-7 in Miami in 2019, since then, the Dolphins are 13-8, and and they have decided to their quarterback of the future that they drafted in the first round, uh, to a tug of one of three first round picks, by the way, for the, for the dolphins this past year, uh, checked in as the starter in, in week six, I believe it was came in, came off the, uh, or made his NFL debut in, in week six, and then became the starter soon after that is four and one as a starting quarterback for the dolphins. So left-handed guy, um, you know, elusive, interesting player. I, I don't know. I, I we we always we try to end our uh, you know our, our show on predictions, and I'm not asking for predictions now. But do, do, how about a threat level concern for the Chiefs this weekend with the Dolphins? Sam Melliger, what what do you think? Have you gotten, gotten into the Dolphins much this week?
4: I haven't been watching the, the film or anything, but um, I, I think that this is a losable game. I, mean, I, I think the Dolphins are a good team. I think that there's the possibility of the Chiefs playing something less than their best. Um, you know, with with the the Saints game um next weekend. Uh, I, I think the Dolphins play really good defense. Uh two hasn't thrown an interception yet. I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, for a rookie um, you know, kind of being thrown into it. I know he's he's different than most rookies, right? Um, He's he's a high level player, at least the Dolphins expect him to be. But I, I think this is um, I think this is a losable game for sure. Just the the way they play defense, they've got some they've got some interesting weapons. Uh, you know, not just Tua, but you know the, the tight end. They've got some guys that can make plays. Um, I, yeah, I, I think this is absolutely a losable game for the Chiefs.
3: With Tua, to me, that stands out to me is he, he has two quality wins. You know, he started off at, at leaving Ryan Fitzpatrick. Kicked it off with beating the Rams and the Cardinals in back to back weeks. So that, you know, and, and the Rams are a pretty good team. The Cardinals are starting to tail off a little, but they're, you know, at the start of the year, they came out like game busters. The quality of wins is what jumps out to me.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, he's, he's, like I said, he's four and one as a starter. The loss came at, uh, to Denver. I, I don't, re- I can't remember if that game was in Denver or Miami. It doesn't matter. And at uh, this, this year where games are played, but. He was sacked six times in that game. So I thought it was interesting that the uh, the, the Broncos were able to get a lot of pressure on, on Tua and confuse a rookie quarterback, making his whatever it was at the time, second or, or third start. And he got pulled in that game, um, and, and Fitzpatrick ended up starting the next game. Tua regained to start the the following week. So uh, it's it's pretty clear that, just like with Justin Herbert with the Chargers, that Tua is the, the quarterback of the future with with the Dolphins. Um one of the other interesting aspects about this Miami organization is so they hire Brian Flores from the Patriots. There's like four starters on this Dolphins team that played in New England uh, in in you know within a few years, including Kyle Van Noy, the the linebacker, and uh, a few assistant coaches. Defensive coordinator comes from from the Patriots, and you know Brian Flores last year in New England was 2018, and that's the you know that's the year that the Chiefs lost to New England twice and in the regular season and of course in the AFC title game and Flores designed, you know, helped design the defensive game plans for both of those games. Now, Chiefs ended up scoring, you know, 40 in one game and 31 in another, but I just remember that AFC that championship game, the first half defense that New England played was about as good as I have seen a defensive, you know, team approach Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and so I wonder what the you know what the concern level for the chiefs should be just with Brian Flores on the other sideline.
1: Well Miami's well, got a good defense to, and generally speaking and not not he didn't just design the game plan for that for that game he also called the plays. Um, a lot of people probably think that Bill Belichick because you know defense is his preferred side of the ball that he calls the plays but he doesn't. And and Flores was the guy calling the plays throughout that AFC title game. Of course, it's of note that Andy Reid made halftime adjustments to allow him to score 31 points in the second half. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a good defensive team for a reason. And it, it starts with that, you know, that their coaching staff changes. They've got some dudes on that side of the ball. Um, you know, Xavier and Howard, they, they,
4: they've got some playmakers. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot like the Bill Belichick coaching tree about how terrible it is. Uh, but Brian Flores has a chance to break that mold. Um, you know, he really does. Um, I guess Mike Vrabel is doing that as well, although I don't think he was ever an assistant for Belichick. But anyway, uh, Flores has a chance. I mean, you can see that if you just watch them casually, you can see those guys play hard for him. They believe in him. They've got, you know, this big plan, a you know, little little bit of tank, little tanky um, a few years ago. And, and now they're getting the draft picks that are, that are paying off. They, it's, a, it's an interesting build that they've got going there.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it was, you know, uh, trading away their best player, right, Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers to get a Mm -hmm. first-round pick, and um, and at this point, I mean, if uh, I heard this earlier this week that you can kind of compare the Dolphins of 2020 to what the Chiefs were in 2013, kind of at the the doorstep of, you know, a, a, a stretch of success, and I, with, you know, different quarterback situation, of course, but I can... I, I can sense that a little bit. I can I can see that that the you know the, as the, as the Patriots decline in that division, the the Bills and the um and the Dolphins look like they're they're ready to step up and and and
3: be the boss of that division. The thing yeah. that impresses me the most about Brian Flores, and we hear this a lot in the National Football League, but he is clearly a player's coach. And Melly absolutely correct. He's no Matt Patricia and the Dolphins are winning right now, but the thing that impressed me the most was last week's game against the Bengals. You know, you had that that uh, that hard hit on special teams, and who was out there on the field yapping it up with the Bengals' sideline, none other than Brian Flores. They had to pull him out of there, but, you know, that, that fiery attitude, and his, his team rallied around him. The, the entire Dolphins' bench <laughs> rushed over there to his defense against the Bengals, where you had that scrum that ended up in multiple ejections, but the fact that he he's leading from the front, and I can appreciate that. So the
0: Chiefs are going back to the stadium where they won the Super Bowl. The following week, they go back to another city where they won a Super Bowl. New Orleans, that's kind of cool, right? Uh, the Miami New Orleans uh, double dip.
3: And um, oh, hold is is Melly like doing this every time you say New Orleans? Insane?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. That's
3: that's not the rule.
0: <laughs> 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 that's right. uh, hey, Herbie. Um, we, we got uh, Mark Giordano wants to know about uh, Mitchell Schwartz and when, when we might see
3: him. This is um, okay. He's still on injured reserve. He was placed on it in November the 21st. And with the new COVID rules with injured reserve, they have to spend at least three weeks on, on the list. And so this would be the third week. If they're going to activate him off of injured reserve, they can do it starting after this week. He has to be able to practice first and then they make that determination then. Okay. Very good.
0: Hey, let's um, – uh, so the, the Steelers ended up losing on, on, on Tuesday – was it Tuesday? I can't remember. Monday or Tuesday, no whatever it? it was. Thank you. To, the, to Washington and Alex Smith, what a, what a fantastic you know, comeback victory for, for Washington in that game. I think I saw the, 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 the stat at the end that the Steelers had only lost one time when holding a, a double-digit lead or a two-touchdown lead in their home stadium. And that, or that was the second time that 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 happened. The Steelers were up fourteen to nothing. Washington came back and won that game. So, uh, so that drops the Steelers to eleven and one, along with the Chiefs. And Vasu asks if the Steelers lose to the Bills and the and the Chiefs lose to the Dolphins, uh, would the Chiefs exit Sunday as the number one seed? And that, of course, speaks to uh, the thought that. Uh, the, the the Steelers still would be the number one seed right now because their loss came to an NFC team and uh, the Chiefs uh, are a, an AFC loss. Both would lose to an AFC team this weekend. So I suspect
1: Yeah, the-, the Steelers would still be number one
0: because of that. Right. Because of that yeah,
1: but but the big the the, the game with the Steelers and Buffalo is really big this weekend because if let, let's let's change the Chiefs loss to New Orleans, for example, and now they both have the same conference record. They both have lost one in conference and one to the NFC because first tie break head to head. These two teams don't play head to head. Second is your conference record. So your record against AFC opponents. So let's say the chiefs lose to new Orleans and now they both have lost one at a conference, one in conference. Then you go to common opponents, your record against common opponents. Well, the chiefs already beat the bills. So that's why the, this game with the Steelers and bills, it would be a really big loss for the Steelers if they lost to a team that the chiefs have already beaten.
0: Okay. Hey, so um, uh, so my my the clever uh, Chiefs playing in two Super Bowl victory sites over two weeks was supposed to be a segue into Vahe your your column today about uh, 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 the differences between where the Chiefs are uh, defending a Super Bowl title in 2020 versus where they were in 1970. I can remember in the you know as as we were building toward the Super Bowl last year, we wrote a lot trying to compare. The, those super bowl teams and now that they have the same accomplishment it's a different world is it not it's just not 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 only in terms of of time and uh but but roster makeup and um it just approach might be different for the chiefs now than than it was 50 years ago for sure
2: in a few different ways blair but the the thing that really stands out the most is that that 1969 70 chiefs team was kind of at 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 its apex, I mean, it it hit the peak there. Um, it it could have had another prosperous year or two, but it was aging out. Um, this team is at the other end of that arc, the other end of the spectrum. You know, I talked to uh, Dale Stram, Hank Stram's son, the other day, and Dale isn't just Hank Stram's son. I mean, he he is pretty wired into the whole arc of the Chiefs' history, and um, and also very candid. I mean, even even willing to note that some of the things that also happened during that time were that his dad had uh, not a great relationship with Jack Steadman, who was sort of in between the coach and the owner. And that that led to all kinds of things. It's probably a column in itself that that were, sort of signified some upheaval. Um, so I, I got thinking of, I kind of, you know, you planted the thought actually with me last week when you you alluded to that in your preview about you know, that the Chiefs could finally, uh, not finally, but they could clinch a playoff spot last week, um, unlike the team in 1970. So um, I think what we can see now is sort of more synergy and harmony, whatever you want to call it, between it, the whole the whole brass, right? Andy Reid to Brett Veach to Mark Donovan to Clark, um, much younger. If you really look at the uh, most key players, th- there's a lot better numbers in this, but the, Easily superficial, simple, simple ones to look at are Patrick Mahomes was 25. Len Dawson was 35 at this point when they're defending the championship. Johnny Robinson was 32. Tyron Matthews, 28. And that's pretty emblematic of a younger core. So I, I in closing, um, I think I just say that I, I, you can be pretty struck by the difference in where the, the franchise it was in these years of defending the, the championship and this one really is way more poised to uh to to continue on than that team was
0: you know something I think about um and w- w- we'll get into this now that we know the chiefs are in the playoffs they're gonna they're gonna win their division and it's just a matter of seeding now uh for, for them i don't think they can get caught by is buffalo the only the only team with three losses and it's basically between the chiefs and the steelers right for the one and the two seeds so um, the, the thing that the, the thing that strikes me is it's been a long time since a team has repeated as super bowl champion right the patriots in 0, 0, 03 and 04 with them beating andy Reid's eagles team for the second one and you know the patriots were in the playoffs all but one year after that up until last season so they were you know Obviously, quality team. They won three more Super Bowls after that, but they never repeated. That's how, you know, just that's how difficult history tells us it is to win back-to-back Super Bowls. But um, like I said, we'll we'll get into more of that as the as we get closer to the postseason.
4: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice.
0: Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer, and as always, thanks for listening. I I do want to cover the topic that has been on everybody's mind since the, the, the Broncos game, and that is... Problems in the red zone. We talked about a little bit after the game, and Sam McDowell, you you took a deeper dive into this topic this week. What did you discover?
1: Well, what what sort of prompted it? And, and Sam wrote a little bit about it after the game, but um, you know, I, I just hear a lot whenever the the Chiefs try and get cute towards in the red zone that you know that that doesn't work, even though we've seen it work so many times and. Um, so I, I not only looked at their failures in the red zone, but also their successes. And what stands out is those those so-called cute plays, that, that the gimmicks are what work best for them. And that's the problem, is that nothing else is really working for them right now. You know, the the stats on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire attempts inside the 10- and 5-yard line are really glaring, like worst in the NFL glaring. I think he's he's carried the ball 13 times inside the 10-yard line. He's only scored on one of them. He's carried it eight times inside the 5-yard line. He's only st- He's scored on one of those, and every single other player in the NFL who's got at least eight carries inside the five-yard line has at least two touchdowns from that, and I think that's 22 guys. He also has got zero yards out of his eight carries. Now, obviously, you're not going to have a a high yards per carry when you're carrying the ball inside the five, but every single other player that has carried at least six times, there's 31 of those guys, has positive yards out of it. So, to me, you you could blame that on Edwards-Hilaire, or you could blame that on the offensive line not getting enough push Um, You know, Eric Bannamy says this a lot. He says it so often that that Patrick Mahomes quoted it yesterday in his press conference, which is you've got to be able to run the football even when teams know you're going to run the football. And that's what the Chiefs can't do right now down close.
0: Yeah, Melly, I know your instant uh, uh, column after the game was on this topic. It was it was glaring. I mean, it's always the last seven trips to the red zone for the Chiefs have resulted in uh, in field goals. I, I want a clarification on this, because does the red zone start at the 20? Uh, the night, the, the night, 19. Okay. The 19, yeah.
1: All
4: right,
0: because the touchdown pass to Kelsey was a was 20 yard yards. Yeah, Yeah,
1: okay. yeah so the, the streak goes on. What's it's incredible about convenient that Convenient for the narrative, right? <laughs> it, is. <But> it, it's, <laughs> it is. It's, it's really interest. incredible that the, the team that leads the NFL by yards per game, by like 29 yards per game, I mean, clearly the best offense in the NFL – has gone more consecutive trips to the red zone without a touchdown than any NFL team has this whole season. That, that includes the Jets.
0: <laughs> it, it is, it is amazing what's happened here and how much of this, uh, Brian LeBurge asked, is it, is it an offensive line issue? Melly, what do you think?
4: Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, I think that's a big reason why Andy, does all these, you know, the cute plays, um, you know, like Sam said, I mean, (laughs) Andy's not doing that just to flex on people. Um, you know, he's doing it because that's, that's the way to score. And this is not a new issue. You know, this is something that we've been talking about for, for years. Um, they have not been a, a straight ahead, uh, you know, run it behind your, your guards and your center kind of team. And, um, to me, I, I don't think this is something that they can just like snap their fingers and they're, they're a great red zone team, like with, you know, traditional great red zone team, right? Like um, this is worth noting before the Tampa game. So before this 0 for 7, um, they were like, I think they were eighth in, in red zone percent in, in touchdown percentage in, in the red zone. So you ask yourself, are, are they more the first 10 games of the season, or or more the, the last two, I think they're more the first ten. That's a that's a bigger sample size. All those things, um, but they do have some some issues, um, and some of it is e- uh, execution. and And I believe that a huge chunk is the offensive line. I, I, I really do. But there's also a reason, and Sam, Sam pointed this out uh, in the story that he wrote. Uh, Edward Hilaire, he he got like seven carries in the red zone against Houston in the season opener, is that right? Yeah, and then something like six the rest of the season. I mean, they they just stopped trusting him. They, they don't think that he know you know that he has the patience or the vision or, like in those situations um, to find the hole. So that's part of it as well. Um, you know, it's, it's personnel and it's execution. We should say too, um, you can't be despite like <laughs> you know unless you're Patrick Mahomes or Mike Trout, like you you can't be good at everything. And so the Chiefs have, have made decisions on, you know, they're, they're paying outside guys, they're paying skill guys, um, they're paying their tackles big money. Um, you know, you, you can't have all pros at every position. And they've chosen this to have, you know, the, the interior of their line be more athletic um, for, the, for the screen game and those kinds of things. And so there is a trade off there. And, and the trade off is you got to figure something else out in the red zone.
2: Just a, a funny little twist on Andy and the red zone. I, I didn't know this before, uh, something I worked on a month or so ago, but when he first got into the NFL coaching ranks in Green Bay and was hired uh, as tight ends coach there, um, one of the first uh, aspects of play design for him was was uh, Mike Holmgren incentivized his assistants to come up with red zone plays and it, he'd pay him $100 if he used it. Like, that was the big deal for, for for Gruden, Mariucci, and Andy Reid. And apparently, they had a, a little scoreboard up in their assistant coach's office where Andy was by far the leader in coming up with plays Holmgren used. Um, so you would think that this would be going farther, but you'd also think it plays into the inventiveness we see as opposed to the uh, ability to just blow people away.
1: Yeah, I mean, Andy Reid took some blame for the play calling, um, but I just – I don't think that's it. Um, I think his play calling is what makes them score on 55% of their red zone trips. And when you, when you really look at it, uh, you know, cause the stats are from the red zone, but the real issues are once they get inside the 10, they still have some room to stretch some things out. Uh, cause obviously, you know, it, it's their speed that's negated the closer they get to the goal line. And so it, it's inside the 10 where they're really struggling. Heck that's, that, that's probably why the, the Kelsey touchdown worked on, on Sunday, Blair.
0: <laughs> well I, I'll tell you I think they have um worn out Mahomes in motion to, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> jump the shark yeah <laughs> and, um, I, I don't think defenses are you know are, are, are alerted anymore I, I I think that I think the defensive response to what the Chiefs are doing in the red zone is to just stay stay sound and disciplined oh. and um, and, and, and Sam, as you said, the, f- the field is shorter, that's advantage defense in a lot of cases. Um, and, and, and look in the dolphins, they're, they're playing a, a very good, uh, very good defensive team. So maybe the solution is to not get into the red zone and have touchdowns <laughs> originate from the 20 and and back. Um, bro- Hey, Hey, Herbie, Brian asks if we think, uh, Wisniewski and, uh, and, and Rankin will, uh, will will end up as starters at some point here down the stretch?
3: I'm going to say yes to Wisniewski. I don't – the jury's out on Rankin. Remember, Rankin was a healthy scratch this past week as they, as they pulled up Wisniewski from the practice squad. But this goes back to what you guys were talking about earlier, about that offensive line. Remember early in the season, they had a guard who was a mauler. Kalichi Ossimeli was punching people in the mouth. He had some nice blocks on some big runs that sprung – Edwards-Alaire early, uh, and the, then he goes down with a knee injury, and the, and the last time we really saw the Chiefs commit to a run game because they just couldn't get away from it because it was working, it was against the Bills. Now it's they just missed that, that nasty presence on the offensive line. you got to have guards who, who, who thrive and enjoy getting three, four, five yards away from the line of scrimmage and just punching a linebacker in the mouth. Those are the kinds of blockers that they don't have right now. But if, back to the yeah. question, it wouldn't surprise me if Wisniewski does make it on the active roster for the rest of the year. It, it's easy to forget that last year, around this time, is when he was inserted into the lineup. And then, of course, Mr. Uh, playoff, Mr. Postseason, uh, Damien Williams, goes off. So I mean, it, it's coincidence? Who
4: knows? We'll see. Well, Simley was their, their, sort of their strongest, nastiest blocker, and Mitchell Schwartz is their best overall linemen both those guys are out that that stuff has to be mentioned as well you're right
0: so do we think we, we can see Wisniewski and Mitchell Schwartz for the playoffs starters on the play maybe the difference in offensive lines between now and you know early January
3: I think so I mean you know, remember I asked Andy Reid was that last week how Schwartz was doing on his his recovery and then whether we couldn't expect him back in time for the postseason you know of course we got the the obligatory yeah hey we'll see it's really going to depend on how Schwartz's back is, is recovering right now as, as he's taking this time to rehab.
0: I'll tell you what, you know what I think about with Osemele is um, in that the first, sna- was it the first snap of the Raiders game at Arrowhead? Mahomes over the top to Tyreek Hill and uh, gets wiped off the board because that's when Osemele was called for a, a borderline holding call. It was the next play that Osemele injured his knee. If if that flag doesn't come down, Osemele walks off the field at that point, with a, and the Chiefs are up seven to nothing in a game that they end up losing. So I, I can't help but think you know just one flag changed Osemele's season and and the Chiefs to you know at least in that game.
1: Um, Not to worry, Randy not to play Randy Kovitz but it was actually both knees that's how brutal that injury was <laughs> yes, <I know. laughs>
0: right just in one one flag and I, I i remember that later that day looking at the holding penalty and thinking that was you know kind of like the Allegretti one in, in on on Sunday night it was i guess you could call it but you didn't didn't have to call it um but anyway what's done's done right um uh, hey, another one for you, Herbie. Leonard Sims asked, uh, where's Willie Gay's progress at this point in the season and what can we expect from him? I say Willie Gay is a popular person uh, on, on our show for someone that does um, not play in a whole lot.
3: It's interesting how this is going. I mean, we, we all thought he would be worked into the starting line, and he did start. You know, he started uh, this past weekend – but then he only ended up playing 17 snaps, and Ben Neiman played more snaps than him. I think they're looking at him as more as a situational guy, and then it's kind of fascinating. I think he might see more action against Miami uh, because Miami is an up-tempo offense, and you're going to need speed out there to, to deal with some of those weapons that they have. But with Wooly Gay, it's kind of a head scratcher at this point because we are now well into the second half of the season. And then, you know, we figured he would be out there all the time, but that just hasn't happened yet.
0: He had the one Every play. Every time we asked. go ahead, Blair. I was going to say, he had one play where he, you know, looked like he was going to get to Drew Locke and he flew by and Locke stepped up and, and Gay flew by him. Um, just kind of needs a little more, I, I guess, discipline or. No, no, when to you know when to decelerate when he gets the quarterback.
3: That was actually a yeah. different angle because he flushed Locke out of the pocket and then locked through the interception
1: to Matthews. So I thought that was a pretty good play. And anytime we ask Steve Spagnuolo about it, um, there's sort of always a reference to the difficulty of learning this defense and his system. So I think that's why we don't see him more on the field right now
0: yeah uh, you know, and I think we've identified him as one of the one of the first year players who really would have benefited by from a preseason and yeah, you know, off season training and that that sort of all the stuff that got um, that was done via zoom and and not in person. So. Okay, hey, um just a couple of news items. Uh, vahe this is uh, this is for you, probably a conversation for you and I. Um, because of our, um, <laughs> our age, but, um, I, I it was, it, it, I thought it was a really neat story this week that Patrick Mahomes and Laurent DuVernay Tardif were part of the group of five that were, uh, identified as the sports illustrated person of the sports person of the year. Uh, I really, Herbie may remember this. I don't believe the Sam's would. Do you remember when sports Illustrated's sports person of the year was about the biggest honor in sports? And I can, I can remember when that came out at the end of the year, that was on national news. I mean, the, you know, the, Walter Cronkite would talk about being the Sports Illustrated person of the year. I don't mean to diminish it, and I think it's a, it's a great honor and everything like that. It's just kind of changed in scope um, uh, over the years, but a, a very nice honor for Mahomes and LTD.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and look, I do think it still is very meaningful but I think, like a lot of things, there's so much more media, so many more things happening all at once. It's a little diluted these days. I don't think Sports Illustrated, you know, holds the same place in the broader landscape that it once did. Right? Just like a lot of things. Um, but the honor's great, and uh, it got me thinking, Blair. And, and and I know no the other three lads on this probably can't speak to this, although we still don't know how old Herbie is. Um, <laughs> um but it got me looking up like the, my first sports illustrated so i think uh i think my first was february 14th 1972 it, it was uh, ken dryden on the cover first time i got uh the subscription came in so i was trying to remember who the sportsman of the year was that year it was like jackie stewart and i think uh, i probably ignored that because i didn't care that much about it but but over time you started seeing the meaning of that award um and as you got a little older and you know, more understanding of the meaning. The meaning of it has changed over the years, by the way, too, though, I think we can say that. I mean, that case in point, sort of a a funny twist on this, funny is the wrong word, but an interesting twist on this to call it the activist athlete this year. And um, I tried to get into this a little bit in the column, right, I mean, Patrick Mm. uh, absolutely has been a, a force for good and change, but I think you could ask questions about, you know, what really constitutes uh, pure activism. And meanwhile, I know Sam Mellinger, sorry to put words in your mouth, Sam, but I, but I know you feel like this um, and I and pro- probably other guys on this really feel like the, the sportsman of the year is Laurent DuVernay Tardif. I mean, it just is. Uh, I think it's an unparalleled thing. Um, but I, you know, in this context, it's all, all kind of interesting to bring it all together.
4: Mahomes gets such a head start on these things just because of how amazing he is at football. Uh, you know, I mean that's that's why he had the voice to to talk about uh, you know voting and, and all these other things. But my God, I mean what LDT did is without precedent, right? like in the in the history of the planet, like there theres not a precedent for for a guy like this a starter on a Super Bowl champion. Um, walking away, walking away to to be on the front lines fighting COVID. It's 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 absolutely incredible.
0: And just today, uh, we, we learned that Travis Kelsey was the Chiefs' uh, nominee for the Walter Payton yeah. Man of the Year Award. So look, that the the Chiefs do a fantastic job in the community. There's no doubt about it. And you can make a case for Tyron Matthew and in his, in his offseason season. Um, uh, you know, contributions to, you know, to the to the causes that uh, that the Chiefs and, and the NFL um, ha- have had. So there's just a lot of good stuff there with the Chiefs. But I agree with you guys. What Laurent duvenet Tardif uh, did this year was is uh, amazing. You know, he's, he gave it all up to uh, for for this calling. I, I just think it's it's incredible. So. Um, didn't get to everything I wanted to. Maybe, maybe in, in the next coming, in the next few weeks, we can uh, we can talk about some other topics here, like uh, Patrick Mahomes' girlfriend becoming a uh, a team owner. But well, that was, was kind of an interesting piece of news this week, as she's uh, she's part of the ownership group for the new Kansas City Women's
4: Pro Soccer team, and there might be a lot more on that team on the website tomorrow morning.
0: <laughs> just saying. <laughs>
4: And and not just that, but also, uh, if I may, Blair, um, also on a competing podcast. Whoa,
0: whoa, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll look forward to that. Melinger minutes for, for my ears on uh, on Friday. Well, that I'll look forward to that. That's great. That uh, both a column and a podcast. Um, I believe that's called uh, something something along the lines of every uh, every piece of meat from the Buffalo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so all That's right, funny. you guys, um, uh, good show. Uh, appreciate you stopping by Sam, Sam, Vahe and Herbie. Uh, thank you all for your questions and comments and uh, big thanks to Beth Welsh for producing today. And we will talk to you again sometime. Uh, thankfully in the late afternoon on Sunday <laughs> and not early the next morning as has been the case too often this year. So uh, take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you on Sunday. That will do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Tip of the Cap 2, Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Herbie Teopi, and Sam McDowell for stopping by and talking Chiefs. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month, unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to KansasCity.com sportspass 2020. That's KansasCity.com slash Sports Pass 2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at slash subscribe. And if you're having any trouble hunting down any of these offers, send me an email, bkirkhoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday with another episode.